Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I have prepared a little amusement for this occasion. Horrifying tales of wonder, ghost stories, weird tales of the macabre. Tonight, we bring you a strange tale of unearthly enchantments in the filet study of a well-traveled old adventurer. Presenting, The Dreamer Awakens. I ran my fingertips over the spines of the book in Lord Marley's study. Firelight danced across their covers, throwing their cryptic textures and patterns into sharply shadowed relief. While some volumes appeared to be ordinary occult manuals, the bindings of others defied my attempts at classification. Could one really bind a book in octopus skin? And what of the tome whose cover seemed to resemble leather, yet bore suspiciously curling animal tattoos? I say, is that Sanskrit? asked Professor Addington, stroking his pencil-thin moustache as he eyed a tapestry above the fireplace. The hanging's purple fabric bore a delicately stitched image of a many-armed demon devouring a village. Though its columns of text did vaguely resemble Sanskrit, I couldn't make out a single text I recognized. I shook my head. No, Addington added. Definitely not Sanskrit. Perhaps Sogdian script or Uyghur. I can't read Uyghur, unfortunately. Can you, Madame Vaquelin? asked Professor Addington. In any other setting, that would have been a rhetorical question, perhaps even a jocular one. Here, in this room, however, it provoked only a shake of Vaquelin's head. Haven't found the time, sadly, said the slender young occultist, eyeing the curvilinear lines of text woven into the tapestry. She plucked at a curl of her fiery hair. Where do you suppose Lord Marley acquired it? I considered shaking the old man awake to ask him, but he appeared to be dozing peacefully at the mahogany card table. This was likely our only chance to peruse his infamous library at our leisure. Madame Vaquelin sipped green liquid from a cut crystal tumbler she'd filled at the bar. I poured this from a bottle that looked like chartreuse, she commented, eyeing the glass curiously. But it taste more like elderflower cordial. I accepted the glass from her and sampled its contents. Summer seemed to blossom in my mouth. An eruption of lacy white flowers danced on my tongue. It's delicious, whatever it is, I said. It's not elderflower, barked the old man at the table, whose eyes remained closed, so he wasn't asleep after all. The dimly flickering firelight made it difficult to tell, even now, whether he had nodded off again, or was simply gazing down at his folded hands, gathering his thoughts. Madame Vaquelin eyed the old man with some nervousness. Glad to know I'm not drinking poison, she said. In that case, Lord Marley, would you mind telling me what it is I've just imbibed? The old man only shook his head. You wouldn't recognize the name. Vaquelin smiled wryly over the glass. Try me. Lord Marley grunted. It is not a name of this realm. In the tongue of Enshushanak, it is called Tiat Husa, which means tongue of the forest. You will begin to see the vision soon. He looked up and smiled at her in a way I did not like. The madame set her glass on the lacquered bar with great care and reached out as if to steady herself. Come now, Marley. 
said Addington, returning to his seat at the table. You can't expect us to believe this Enshushanak of yours is a real place. I don't expect you to believe anything, Old Lord Molly declared, fixing his beady eyes on Addington. What I expect you to understand, he said, is that the realm of Enshushanak is far more real than the room we now inhabit. I joined Addington and Lord Marley at the table, keeping an eye on Madame Vaquelin, who was doing her best to steady herself against the bar. I can see, I said carefully, that this Enshushanak is very real for you, Lord Marley. Marley frowned. Don't patronize me, boy. I was killing Turks in Egypt while you were pissing in your nappies. I raised my hands. Very well, I won't patronize you. I'll tell you the truth. A veteran Orientalist such as yourself, sir, must know that Enshushanak is a name found in many inscriptions in Persia. The name of a king who ruled that land when it was known as Elam forty centuries ago. If Enshushanak is indeed the name of this realm you visit, then you yourself must have heard this name in your travels. It is from your own memory, old, strange, yet familiar memory, that the name of this place springs. Lord Molly was laughing now, long and low, glaring at me beneath his heavy brow in a way that made me sit back and clench my fists. I can't see what's so damned funny, I snapped. Molly waved a hand dismissively. Of course it's the name of an old Elamite king, he snarled. Everything in Enshushanak reflects something I saw or heard or touched in my travels. How could it be otherwise? The agate columns of Ratep Shal, the towering observatory on Mount Halatush. Do you think I don't recognize these names, these ideas? Addington licked his lips. Then, Lord Marley, knowing that all these things come from your own memory, how can you continue to believe? That is, how can you insist to us that- Marley cut him off. It is in the intersections. You think I'm just a mad old man, that I can see clearly enough. You've heard I'm going soft in the head, talking of dream realms and palaces in the clouds. So you've come here to see what's what at Lady Marley's behest. I have no doubt. No, don't protest, Haddington. I've known that hag these 53 years, and I know when a plot's got her stink on it. We only want to help, I insisted. She asked us to come here and talk with you, to try to understand- To understand what? Marley snapped. That I'm insane? That I should be packed off to some asylum? That this estate, the collection I've worked a lifetime to assemble, should be picked over by agents who sell off these treasures as if they were curios from Morocco or some such boorish place? His lip curled. No, there are things in this world, in this very study, that you three do not understand, but I mean to make you understand. Madame Vaquelin collapsed, sliding down the bar, coming to rest in a wide-eyed heap, staring into the fireplace as though she discerned some fascinating opera among the flames. Ah, Lord Marley nodded approvingly. The Tiat Hussar has begun its work. Our conduit begins to see. 
The Tiatussa seemed to be working on me as well. A swell of nervous energy rushed up from my stomach, coruscating along my arms, making my fingertips tingle. The reddish-brown whirls of the table's mahogany seemed to swim, as did the green damask of the wallpaper and the abstract geometries of the Turkish carpets strewn about the floor. I'd read of effects like this among those who imbibed the bang tea of the hashish plant, but this felt stronger somehow, as if every aspect of the room were reconfiguring itself into some entirely new frame of meaning. I say, Marley, I cried, you've drugged us. The old lord merely scoffed. You drank that concoction of your own free will. We thought it was chartreuse, I protested. Lord Marley spread his hands. And what did you hope to accomplish, drinking chartreuse? To soften the world's edges a bit? Brighten a few colors? No harm in that, is there? Our worlds all need a bit of brightening now and then. Well, what you've drunk there will accomplish what you hope. And so much more. I, I don't like it, I said, hearing how absurd I sounded, but unable to string a better sentence together. The wallpaper had become a forest, alive with fluttering, leaping, feathered forms. The world we know, Marley was saying, represents only one set of intersections among the geometries of higher space. Other intersections give rise to other realms, and all realms lead back to Enshushanak. In my travels, I have learned several ways of rotating myself out of the planes of familiar time-space and traveling along strange curves to reach realms that sit just next door to ours in one sense and unimaginably far away in another. Addington was glancing nervously at me and at Madame Vaquelin, who stared wordlessly into the fire. You mean, you've been taking hallucinogens, the professor cried imbibing concoctions that bring strange visions, which seem utterly real to you, I'm sure. Molly scoffed. So I believed, at first. But as I spent more time in that other realm, the word real began to take on altogether different shades of meaning. The old lord rose from the table, placed a meaty hand on my shoulder. We all seek in our own ways to call up worlds that bring us comfort. Memory is one way, liquor another, but the world that brings me the most comfort can only be accessed through emotional resonances and sense impressions that lie at strange angles to this universe. And so, those impressions and resonances must be raised by something from outside. Addington rose to his feet with a scowl. Drugs and dark magic! The professor spat. I've seen enough. Lady Marley was right. You've lost your mind. Sit down, boy! Lord Marley thundered in a voice that sent vibrations through the walls. Addington did as he was told. Suddenly, the proud professor was reduced to a meek schoolboy, cringing under rebuke by his headmaster. Addington's eyes bulged. He balled his hands into frightened fists, clutched tight against his chest. Marley strolled around the table, tracing the polished wood with a weathered fingertip. The land of Persia sits at one intersection of certain resonances and angles, 
Bukhara at another, Tibet at a third. He spoke softly now, in rumbling cadence, like a lecturer who knew he held the room's attention. The realm of Nshushanak sits at an intersection, where the higher dimensional shapes we know by those names interpenetrate in different ways than they do here on Earth. And it is that realm, not this one, that is most real. The candlelight flickered across Lord Marley's weathered face, making the shadows dance in the creases of his cheeks and around his sunken eyes. That light seemed to transform the bookshelves behind him into a maze of alleyways, where boys and rags sprinted amidst a bazaar, where merchants bartered for spiked fruits and reams of glistened Suzani textiles. Lizard-like birds squawked on teakwood perches amid ticking clockworks of finely wrought bronze. Marley turned to Addington, who remained cowering in his chair. If I have, in the past few weeks, seemed to indicate that I have settled into the routine of life here in London, he said, or that I can envision myself as a permanent resident in this realm, then I must apologize for having led you all astray. But only last night, Addington exclaimed, you were sitting happily by the fire, here, in this very study. I poured you a tot of brandy, and you told me you felt entirely content. Those were your words, entirely content. Lord Marley regarded Addington with an expression that hinted at pity. I felt content, the old lord said, because in those moments, everything about this room converged in such a way that, as I stared into that fire, I was able to forget that I was here in London. For those fleeting moments, I could imagine I was back in my study, in the Jade Tower of Ruhuratir, on a winter's night in Nshushanak. Then surely, Addington persisted, it makes little difference whether you were here in this Nshushanak of yours or here in London. The sense impressions were the same. It was your dreams of Nshushanak, combined with those impressions here in London, that evoked your feeling of contentment. I did not say, Marley rejoined, raising a gnarled finger, that I experienced those moments as I would have in Nshushanak. I said only that, for a few moments, I was able to imagine myself there. It was that imagining that brought me comfort. But now I need more. Only the real thing will suffice. What is it exactly? Addington added. That your study in the Jade Tower provides, that your study here in London cannot. The old man gazed at Addington for a long time, his eyes filled with sadness and with something else, a failing hope perhaps, that he could ever put into words those elusive networks of associations and meanings that ensconced in Shushanak forever in the sanctum santorum of his thoughts and memories. In Inshushanak, he said at last, every street and house, every cobblestone and fence radiates familiar memories to me. Just as you, he glanced around the study, can page through an old family album and remember in each expression of every face, ah, this was our holiday by the lake. Or, oh, here's our Henry on the very week he was born. 
Molly turned to me. I can stroll down any street in the basalt fortress of Shilhala, he said, peering into my eyes. And say, look, here is the prison where Cream Raptashkidin tortured the cunning apes of Albazar, who refused to speak the answer to the riddle engraved on their labyrinth's entry stone. The old man's gaze shifted to Madame Vaquilin, who sat slumped by the fire. Or, oh, he went on, my way may take me among the humble, crumbling alleyways of Pahir, where I may point and say, Aha! Here are slabs of Chalkendoni, wrenched from the palace where Hashrud the cruel for seventy and seven sirens to sing for their lives at his final banquet. Lord Molly paused again, gazing into Addington's eyes, and into mine, as if searching for some sign of recognition there. What makes these memories precious to me? He continued after a moment. Is not all of them are pleasant, or even that all evoke a strong emotion. It is simply this, that all are connected with the same streets and stones, the same names and patterns of life, in which I myself am immersed when I find myself in Nshushanak. Addington bit his thumbnail. And has London, the professor asked, with its own old Roman fortresses and kingly towers, failed so utterly to open those same feelings to you? Molly sighed, sinking back into his chair. When I sit in my study in the Jade Tower on a winter's night, the old lord replied, and watch the snow softly falling on the domes and minarets of Rehuratir. I feel freed from the yoke of the present, submerged in a time outside of time, where all is now, where I take communion with every astronomer and sculptor and philosopher whose feet did ever trod the stones of those same streets, Emperors and concubines have run their fingers over the hammered gold of the same prayer wheels my hands turn. Eyes of fire with secret wisdom have gazed out those same windows of latticed ebony on a hundred million snowy nights just like this one, and felt themselves too members of the same grand pageant. The library's wallpaper had become a jungle of creeping vines, where titan birds with curved beaks and talons stalked tribes of dark-browed primates, and intricately carved ziggurats of marbled soapstone thrust through thick mists and palm frond foliage. It sounds like an oppressive feeling, Addington interjected. All those centuries, all that weight of time and preconception, don't you ever wish for something simpler? Just a cozy fire and a volume of poetry, perhaps. Lord Molly gazed into Addington's eyes for a long time. When at last he spoke, his voice was quieter and cracked. Time is an ocean in which I move weightlessly, Molly said. All in Shushanak's uncounted centuries are chasms into which I plunge at will. There... I find the men and women who raised that city out of the primordial mud and laid layer upon layer of memory about its alabaster bones. And when I gaze out my window on cold nights like this one, 
I feel immersed in the same life-streams they all knew by heart. It is a glimpse, one might say, of the sublime, said Madame Vaquelin, still gazing into the crackling fire. Lord Marley turned to the lady and nodded in agreement. You see, he said as if to himself, how Lady Occultist begins to discern the truth. I'm not sure I discern anything just yet, I pointed at the wallpaper. What are those towers in the jungle? Marley smiled warmly at me. Then you also begin to see, he hummed. That is good, because I cannot explain in words. At least, not in any words you would understand. I can only show you. That's why I allowed you to take the drink. But what are they? I demanded. They're only hallucinations! Addington cried. You've taken his drug, and now you're seeing the same vision he does. Marley whirled at him. If the realm of Inshushanak is only my dream and nothing more, he said, his tone crackling with menace, then explain that tapestry above the fireplace. Explain the bottle from which you drink, and the books you see on my shelves. Addington's eyes widened. Surely you can't mean... Oh, but I do, Marley crowed. It is from the realm of Enshushanak that I obtained many of the relics and curios in this very room. Those books and bottles and works of art that you three were pawing so curiously only a few minutes ago. Addington shook his head furiously. But that's impossible, he insisted. You must have had them made. To how many Marrowbone bookbinders do you owe money, Marley? Relics from a dream realm indeed. Lord Marley fixed Addington with a gaze as hard and dark as Onyx. He nodded to the bookshelf. Open one. Addington scoffed. For what purpose? Marley's eyes narrowed. Why, for the purpose with which you came here. To prove once and for all whether old Marley has well and truly lost his marbles. I watched the two men glare at one another in the dancing firelight. Addington's lip trembled, and he seemed to force himself up from the chair before striding to the bookshelf with head high, as if to show Marley how little he thought of this game. He drew down a book bound in the gnarled hide of some ferocious reptile, its leather tessellated in a colorful mosaic of hooked scales. How about this one? He scanned the curvilinear script adorning its cover. I can't make head nor tail of this. That's because it is neither head nor tail, Marley declared with a grin. I skin that hide from the creature's underbelly. Addington shot Marley a look that made it clear just how unfunny he found this whole business. You seem to have had the bookbinders inscribe Babylonian cuneiform in a sort of gothic black-letter style. He commented, doing his best to keep his voice steady. Quite creative, Marley. I have to hand it to you. Marley humphed. That, he said, is the Da'amis script of the Sakashta school, which was perfected in the third renaissance of the city of Hidal Amarak. Open the book. Madame Vaquelin turned from the fire. Horror shone in her eyes. Don't open it! She cried. But Addington was already doing as Lord Marley bid. As the professor peeled back the yellowed vellum, every transformation in the room erupted with violent force.
the green wallpaper became a forest of towering cedars from which colonnaded obelisks hurled themselves toward a sky, reeling with inside-out constellations, where birds with wings of red fire snapped at swarms of glimmering blue wings. A shriek split the night. I ducked beneath a sweep of iridescent green feathers. Hooked beaks yawned wide, crying out in joy so profound it dredged the depths of sorrow. Do you see now? Molly howled, arms spread wide against the wild heavens. Addington clasped the scale-bound book tight to his chest, collapsing to the floor. The plaid carpet was expanding into a labyrinth of wild-angled alleys and windows, where tattooed men clad in mastodon bones bartered vials of sweet-scented powder for rune-marked swords and ornaments of chrysoberyl. From a shadowed doorway, a long-bearded sage blew smoke from a sinuously curved pipe, and the clouds smelled of wintertime in a mountain monastery. Gaggles of patchwork children chased azure frogs the size of cats, which leaped about the brickwork, croaking ciphers indecipherable to human ears. Yes, you begin to see, said Lord Molly, and yet you do not see. Even now you persist in your ignorance. It is to be expected, the last bulwark of the ignorant mind. Addington gawked as elephantine legs rampaged over us, silk-clad riders clanging cymbals carved with runic cones. I understand, the professor cried. It's all real, and Shusanak is just as real as our world, just as real as London. Madame Vaquelin rose, the hearth roared behind her, its flames swimming with beasts whose eyes shone as topaz and whose mouths slavered with tongues of cold star fire. No the madam said. It is not all real. Addington gaped at all that unfolded around us. You mean, you don't see... Vaquilin shook her head. I mean, she said, that it is we who are not real. It is London, our London, that is the fiction. A smile crept across Lord Marley's face. He pointed a thick finger at the madam. At long last... He crowed. The dreamer wakens! And I saw what I dreaded to see. That Persia's minarets were no more than flagstones of the sky-piercing spires of Basalt Shilhala. That Tibet's towering monasteries were as village priories beneath the cathedrals of Hidal Amarak. The minarets of Samarkand and Bukhara, the domes of Khwarezm and Chengdu, were as pebbles amongst the brickwork of Enshushanak. The true realm yawned before me, and I screamed. London and Paris were but fragments of angles here, motes of whimsy settling in the dust atop clay tiles, where pigeons pecked and cooed as three suns leapt above the horizon. I wept, knowing that I was but a fiction in Enshushanak, where all things intersect. I fell to my knees, here at the heart of the real. I hid my eyes, but it made no difference. For here, even through tight-clenched eyelids, I could not help but see everything. And so ends our tale. A most chilling evening to you, brave adventurers. Join us next week at this same time for another horrifying tale of wonder. <laughs> <laughs>